Hang on. Hang on. Halt. Welcome to This Might Be A Podcast, the song-by-song podcast about the greatest band of all time. They might be giants. I'm your host, Greg Simpson, and I'm here with TV's Kyle. You'll know some of his TV stuff. It's Kyle Carosa, and we're going to talk about the song Sally Boy Candy Bar, which is off of nothing. Dial a song, I suppose. Here we go. TV's Kyle. I remember seeing that stage name around. I'm going to call it a stage name. Have you ever performed live? You've done a lot of... Uh, many, many times. Yes. Okay. Good. So it's, it is a stage name and not just a throw on a compilation name because you've been right. using that handle for quite a while from what I can oh, gather. Since, since the late 90s. Yeah. Yes. And I'm most definitely going to need to hear all about... Your late '90s hijinks, because <laughs> y- you've got <clears throat> you've got just a few years on me. Neither of us is a spring chicken, but um, as far as they might be Giants fans, I guess we're kind of in the middle of things. There are older fans than us, but surprisingly, and I find it kind of cool. I think there's more fans that are younger than us, and the young contingent of the fan base, uh, the way that they keep growing fans, is pretty. Amazing. I had a 16-year-old on the show that I had to talk to her mother first <laughs> before <laughs> I let her on the show. You can't just I podcast to, with anyone. I talked to a week ago. Well, <laughs> I mean, I've had I have had like a f- yeah, like a 60-year span <laughs> of ages of people <laughs> on the show. Um which is pretty wild. You know, the the band's been together for 40 years now. And, uh, and you've, I need, yeah, I think even before we get to your fandom, I think we need to tell people, you know, before we jump ahead to that, 
we need to tell people, you need to tell people about okay. your credentials, because this is a dude here with an IMDb page, and not just anyone can get an <laughs> IMDb page. Well, I mean, your IMDb page actually has like a lengthy list of stuff. And now the first question... And, and a I, solid 75% of them are correct. Oh, okay. Okay. So here's one I wanted to know about. Before we even get to the stuff that is true, I want to know if this is okay, true. Okay, let's see if this is a real I one. I scrolled all the way down. And I, I not only saw that you were a part of the Animaniacs reboot, which is quite good, yes. but it also said you were involved with one episode from the original run in 1997. Is this true? You would have been so this is, young. This is absolutely true. I was in high school. Holy shit. How did, <laughs> okay. So was this like your first taste of animator stardom? Uh, it was. Uh, I'll, I'll explain that real quick. Uh, so... As you may know, you know, most animation, you know, for, for television programs, even in American shows, are shipped elsewhere to be actually animated. Uh, and in the case of, you know, the Warner Brothers shows, uh, there were some places in Korea, a place in Japan. And uh, but in the case of Animaniacs, there was one place, Startoons, which uh, was their overseas animation studio in Homewood, Illinois. <laughs> All the way overseas into the Midwest. Right. So, yeah, they managed to be one not overseas, overseas studio. And I always particularly liked uh, their quality because, you know, I would read the end credits and figure out, you know, which style was which animation studio because I could tell the style differences. Mm -hmm. And so I found like I don't remember how I found out their address. This must have been like the early days of the Internet, because how else would I even have found it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I started sending them uh, fan letters back and forth and uh, they liked the little pieces of artwork that I put in, in my letters and uh, they invited me to come and visit. And wow. so uh, my, you know, family and I took a trip to Homewood, Illinois and I got to visit the studio and uh, they had me try out some uh, cleanups and in-betweens on a slappy squirrel cartoon called bully for Skippy. Oh man. Slappy squirrels, my fucking favorite. <laughs> now, I have some dynamite down your paints. <laughs> yeah, so I did that for a couple of days, and basically what it came down to is uh, I was going to, uh, you know, I was looking at colleges, of course, at that age, and uh, I was looking at the, amongst others, the Art Institute of Philadelphia, and they had a uh, portfolio contest that apparently they held annually for a while, where if you uh, won their contest, then you would get a full tuition scholarship. Uh, and I was like, okay, if I get that full tuition scholarship, I will go to school. If I don't, I will go uh, work at StarTunes. And I won the portfolio contest and went to college instead. Mm. Yeah, so that explains the gap in your resume, sir. Yes. Please explain the gap in your resume from 1997 to... Ah, uh, yes, I was a child. Yeah, <laughs> I was a literal child. Um, yeah, home in Illinois is uh, under an hour away from where I grew up. Uh, in Arlington Heights, which is on the northwest side, and Homewood's on like the south side. Um, it's un I mean, it's under two hours from where I am now uh, in Lafayette, scenic Lafayette, yeah, they Indiana. Were, they were secretly making cartoons there. Yeah, that's nuts. You're a coaster, though. You're 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 from the East Coast, and now you live on the West Coast, correct? That's you right. think we're just flyover country here, except for Homewood, Illinois, is the only except for when I go to conventions. Yeah, conventions, right? Um, do you go to, isn't there, isn't there one in Indianapolis that, uh, people actually fly to? I'm not sure which one it is. 
I don't know, but most of my uh, time spent in that area, and of course, like most of the time when I'm doing a convention, I spend most of the time in a convention center or hotel. Right. Right. Uh, there was <laughs> one called uh, Fump Fest, which is you know connected to a comedy music organization to which I belong, uh, The Fump, T-H-E-F-U-M-P, mm. The Funny Music Project. Uh, and, you know, we had, I say it in past tense because we uh, just left that and have joined Con on the Cob now. Cotton on the Cob. And so now 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 Funk Fest is a feature of Cotton on the Cob. Tell me it's about corn and it's based in Indiana. It's in Ohio and probably still corn. <laughs> also corn. <laughs> we like our corn around here, not gonna lie. <laughs> you know. You can do so many things with it. Uh I think the Indianapolis one maybe is like a horror con or something like that. So maybe you don't go to that one. Um not sure though. The only conventions I go to are music teacher conventions. So I don't know. I'm a dork in other realms. Um, Although I did just perform on the I did just perform on the kids stage at a horror con. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, did you make them like, all wet themselves? <laughs> not not on my account. <laughs> <laughs> they were already doing that. I have enough, uh, you know, spooky songs that I was able to do that. And cool. My songs are generally inoffensive. So we were just fine on the kids stage. Nice. I love that. That's great. That's great. They should have, uh, you know, Danny and his red pants band, but they'd be the blood red pants band. (gasps) Gasp. (laughs) (laughs) And they'd play their pumpkins are my favorite fruit song over and over. Nice. Um, which is not scary, but it's about pumpkins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So your name is something that I mean. You said when when you were younger, you're watching the credits of cartoons, you're paying attention to these things. But most cartoon viewers, especially of kids shows, kids don't usually pay attention to the credits. And well, yeah, they make it super hard to do so now. <laughs> yeah, but you know when you're recording. <laughs> When you're recording these on VHS and you can kind of pause your way through, mm. you, mm-hmm. you find out stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this kind of looks like this. Did that guy work on this? He did work on this. I am a very smart child. Wow. Yeah. I mean, kids in general, though, they, they tune out and they go and eat their cereal. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have seen some of your stuff. I mean, especially even, you know people younger than us, obviously, when you were an adult was when you were working on the kids' shows. So um, I, I, I think, why don't you give us, uh, well, well, what was your first, then your big break? You know, you had the, you had the dab, you dabbled in the Animaniacs, which you would then later return to. Uh, a, yes. a, a show that I fucking loved. I had a, a wacko um, stuffed, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, stuffy, uh, mm. that was on my bed stand for like a long time i loved that show uh, but then when you you did the college thing and then what what, what was you were stepping out of college what uh where'd you get going so my, my career kind of came in fits and starts oddly like my first big thing because you know I, I worked out of college like at a cd-rom studio when it was already too late to be working at a cd-rom studio <laughs> for a couple of years um but then like my first like my first like oh my god this is real thing was uh, I got to make my own short at Nickelodeon uh called Moobeard the Cow Pirate. Moobeard the Cow Pirates. Yeah, Sounds intriguing. A, so it was it was a part of the show random cartoons where you know they make a bunch of pilots but then they actually air them. Uh 
And uh, Adventure Time was one of those pilots, which Nickelodeon passed on and Cartoon Network picked it up. But hey, pilot already made. Uh, and uh, Nickelodeon instead picked up Fanboy and Chum Chum, uh, a show on which I worked on season two. Huh? Fanboy and Chum Chum. I have not seen that one. But Adventure Time, I have seen. And you're credited with 124 episodes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> wrong. That's one of the wrong ones. <laughs> Although there is uh, a cover to one Adventure Time comic book in which Finn and Jake are reading a bunch of comics, and one is uh, my webcomic, Frog Raccoon Strawberry. Oh, for real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, but yeah, I also uh, did a little work on Fish Hooks at Disney. Uh, I worked for a little while on uh, the second SpongeBob movie, uh, Sponge Out of Water. Uh, and uh, but not long after that, I ha got my own show on Cartoon Network called Mighty Magiswords. Use nice. And it was 2016. Is that correct? Yeah, I started working in 2014. Was done in 2018. And yeah, it uh, was unusual because it wasn't just a TV show. We started out making uh, shorts for an app, and then they gave us like three minute shorts to make in house with a minimal budget. Uh, then they up the budget and gave us five minute episodes and then finally the tv show but along with the tv show uh these weird little bits that i would ad lib in front of my computer and give directly to the animators and um a spin-off that i didn't even pitch <laughs> like these two minute long spin-off episodes and so it was kind of a lot to make all at once it sounds like it dang um, the one, uh, let's see, in the animation department, it has you listed as working on Doc McStuffins, which my daughter has <laughs> watched on occasion and um, is a quite uh, silly and cute show. That was, yeah, that was like it, it, a surprisingly fun thing to work on considering it's preschool. But uh, yeah, when the show first came out, they weren't prepared for how successful it was going to be. Mm -hmm. So they had... Uh, uh, another studio called Oddbot make uh, little 2D shorts to like run in the interim while they were waiting for more episodes to come out. Uh, and then in addition, there is an episode in which uh, the the hippo toy, Hallie Hippo, discovers that she's based on a TV series and becomes completely obsessed with watching it. And I animated <laughs> the uh, the fake t the fake theme song intro to her show. Nice. One of the few times I've been hired to actually do animation rather than storyboarding or anything like that. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, storyboarding is something that's like really interesting to me. It's one of those things that, I don't know, do you think the average person knows what that is? I feel like some people just think like there's the writing, people do the voices, and then it's just animated. I mean, have you found this to be the case? Do you need to explain well, to people like when you tell them what you do? What it I is. live in Southern California, so, so I guess no, not. but if I didn't, I probably would. Yeah. Like Joe, Joe Internet doesn't generally know. Yeah. Joe Midwest generally doesn't know. Unless they're in Homewood. <laughs> Unikitty. This sounds like something. I did not like. work on Unikitty. So it's just that it's like you had nothing to do with it and it's just on there. Yeah, I don't How know. We, I don't even happen? know what that says. I did some storyboard artist, fifty-three episodes. I did not. <laughs> okay, but you did actually work on five episodes of the Animaniacs reboot. Yes, 
Thank God, because that one I would have been really disappointed. <laughs> no, the, the funny thing about Steven Spielberg shows is that they always start off rocky because he's, you know, that's when he's paying attention and he has a million rules and storyboard artists aren't used to his very cinematic rules. And mm. like this happens, this happens on everything. Like uh, the guy who was my head writer on Magiswords, Rich Purcell, was like just a PA on Tiny Toons, but like he was a pack rat and just kept like this, these boxes of stuff. And so included in that is some of the documentation of Steven Spielberg not being happy with the early boards. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have an example? Like what? It just seems like he's such like an important guy that he'd be like, uh, just let me check it over before you air it. Okay, fine. Well, you know, most most uh, comedy storyboard artists are used to doing like flat kind of <clears throat> Hanna-Barbera sort of staging. Uh you know, not because they don't know how to do it, but because that is often just kind of the clearest way to present comedy. Like, there is no point to, like, having a crazy, exaggerated cinematic shot when a flat shot will get the joke across clearer and better. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, but that's not the way Spielberg's thinking. Spielberg is a film director yeah. of some note. <laughs> and so he, he has He's some, done a few things. Yeah, he's got some clear ideas about what he wants, but as it generally goes, he hits that hard at the beginning of the show, and then once he feels at least somewhat satisfied that everybody's giving him what he wants, he backs off because he's got other stuff to do. Yeah. Okay. I see. And so, and so on this show, it happened on Tiny Toons. It happened on original Animaniacs and now it was happening on new Animaniacs where they couldn't get anything approved by him. And, uh, there was even like a new director attached specifically for putting out all the fires. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and you know, I had a friend who was working on it and I heard about all this and I'm like, <gasps> like I had just rolled off of, not just for all of Avengers swords. I'd rolled off the Magic swords. I was off it for six months and I was like, you know, pitching shows all the time, but I was like so tired of like toiling on something that wasn't becoming real. So I'm like, yeah. I need to work on something that's actually going to come out someday. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I kind of weaseled myself my way into uh, getting in there and I had a great time helping put out fires. And then when all the fires were out, I got bored. <laughs> <laughs> although, that's, although that's not the complete story. Like uh, at one point in there, they, they uh, the higher ups asked me if I would like pitch a Looney Tunes spinoff. And mm. uh, I was like working on bringing them pitch materials, but because it's such a high octane show to work on, it was taking me much longer than I wanted to, to bring them material. And so I'm like, all right, I had my fun. I got to get back to eyes on the prize, trying to sell the show again. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah. And that's part of why I ended up leaving. Uh, so what are you working on now? Uh, I just wrapped up on a thing. I can't mention at Nickelodeon. Oh, okay. You're not going to let us break the news. <laughs> exclusive. Sad, TMBP sadly, exclusive. no, because I would <laughs> like to someday work at Nickelodeon again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's a show that I'm hoping will have a season two, but it, they haven't you know made that decision yet. And so, uh, but in the meantime, I'm doing some uh, kind of freelance storyboards for my friends at uh, DTunes, uh, a YouTube animation network where they make uh, cartoons primarily starring, starring a character named Conroy Cat uh, that, you know, I did a little bit of work for before. And like, uh, you know, I was like, they asked me if I would do some work for them again. I'm like, that sounds like fun. I'm not doing what's well, that. <laughs> I'm never not doing anything, but like, right. You know, it's like, I'll make some amount of money uh, doing this thing. That'll look really cool when it's done. Sure. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It sounds like um, a very fun and interesting, but, kind of 
for being involved with with the making of cartoons, it sounds pretty stressful. <laughs> it sounds fun, but stressful in that you know, uh, with just uh, with Hollywood in general, like no show is going to last forever unless it's The Simpsons, yeah. I suppose. Uh, and you know that there's always going to be you're eventually going to be. <laughs> pitching something else or trying to hop on something else. It sounds, uh, well, I mean, it kind of helps that it helps that my wife is also in this business and, uh, she, uh, has been for the past five years, uh, working on solar opposites on Hulu, which is just keeps going and going. Uh, she's currently the art director on it. And so it's like, I don't, you know, I'm out of a job currently, but I don't need to worry about where my next meal is coming from. Did, uh, did you two meet on a job? No, this is neat. Uh, we met when a mutual <laughs> friend brought us both to a They Might Be Giants show. Woo! Look at that segue. I knew the answer and I just set it up. No, I did not know that. <laughs> That's awesome. I think I need to know the details. What, uh, where and when was this show? Oh, God. Sounds like a pretty important to, show in your They Might Be Giants show I would have to like go on the wiki years. and hunt down which show it was. Well, we'll have to figure it out, but I don't know off the top of my head. That seems like one like, that you should know off the top of your head. Just saying. <laughs> she, she, she wouldn't She wouldn't either, which means I'm in the clear. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear her but from it was, the other know, room. God, you don't know the show that we met at? You son of well, a... Well, no, if she were shouting the answer to me, I would then uh, re- recite it to you. <laughs> but it was, you know, at least uh, a good 20 years ago yeah. in the in the LA area, possibly a house of blues of some sort. Mm-hmm. That seems like a good guess. Well, then let's, let's move further back to how your TMBG fandom began. Give us the origin story, uh, a storyboarded out for us, if you will. Now, how would you just well, tell us the story? <laughs> given the background I just described, it will not shock you to learn that I became a fan as a result of watching tiny tune adventures. Mm, I've heard of that one. Senior Spielbergo, right? And so I saw, <laughs> uh, I saw the Tiny Toon Adventures episode with Istanbul and Particle Man, and I'm like, "What is this? I need this right now!" And like, you know, I went to the mall with my folks. Not long after that episode aired, went into a record shop, explained it the best I could. The kid knew what I was talking about and oh. directed me to. Yeah, I don't a even know if I hero. had the name. They might be giants, but I explained Istanbul and Particle Man. And uh, he was like, right over here. <laughs> oh, man. A true American hero. What fucking uh, absolute Chad, as you'd say in modern internet terms. My wife has me beat by about a year because her parents are cool and we're already fans. Oh, well, look who's the loser in this relationship. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, she has the fandom story that doesn't involve tiny tunes like 40 percent of my guests <laughs> god kyle geez i mean well okay that also includes me all right uh <laughs> but yeah like once i got that album it's like okay this is it this is this is right now my favorite band and it never stopped being my favorite band. yeah wow yep man and you would have been what year were you born 79. Yeah, okay. I was born in 81. So, so yeah, I mean, we were both in that prime age for being very swayed by um, 
cartoons, yourself especially, being swayed <laughs> into the entire uh, career field. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like, it's, it's funny because cartoons have been used over the years, especially in like the 80s, to like sell shit to kids, you know, like, wasn't it, was it He-Man that like, the what what came first? Was it the toy or the cartoon? I don't know. It's like, they, it could go either direction, but it's basically like the sell action figures, uh, like every for, 80s for He-Man, for He-Man, the toy came first, but they wanted a story. And so uh, they put little mini comics in there. Uh, some yeah. of which were drawn by Bruce Tim, drawing in no way like Bruce Tim. Uh, huh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there were, there were a few that kind of started off that way. Uh, Transformers might've been the one that, and I don't know for sure, but there were a few that started that way where it's like, there's, a, there was this guy at Marvel named Larry Hama, who was kind of like the guy they went to when they wanted to attach a story to these action figures. Cause he was good at it. Hmm. He, he later co-created uh, Bucky O'Hare. I feel okay. I feel like I've heard that name. I mean, I I like that uh, the the Netflix shows the um, the toys that made us and the movies that made us. Not mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we've watched those. Yeah, yeah. The one um, what was it? The Ninja Turtle one. I'm not remembering the guy's names, of course, but he like drew it as like a joke to make his friend laugh or something. Oh yeah, like- <laughs> Eastman and Laird were just like throwing like this drawing back and forth, adding yeah. stuff to it, making each other laugh. Yeah. What's and, the most uh, ridiculous thing, Teenage Mutant Ninja? Turtles. And then they go to write the comic, and it's a you know Daredevil parody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Daredevil parody. That yeah, it's 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 wild. I was actually uh, I saw Oppenheimer uh, last night, and I it's a long ass fucking movie. I don't know if you've seen it. It's really good, but it's long. No, as saw hell. Barbie. Didn't see Oppenheimer. Okay, yeah. I, I'll see Barbie eventually, I'm sure, but it's it's really long, but it's great. So I had to go out and take a pee twice. I have a, th- <laughs> a thimble-sized bladder, and I just can't I, I'm stop. I'm told that you could have you taken know. that pee during the sex scene, come, came back, and it still would have been happening. <laughs> I, so, and, and the second time I'm in there peeing, I'm like, like just trying to go as fast as possible and get back in there. The dude who sidles up in the urinal next to me, he's like, man, Ninja Turtles. Shit's real good. You got to check this out. I'm like, all right, man, I'll do that later. I didn't even know they had Do, do you want Do you want to hear my personal favorite story about having to pee at the movie theater? <laughs> sure, why not? So, Sonic 2. Like, I you know saw the whole thing. I knew there was going to be like a mid-credit scene or a, a post-credit scene. scene or something like that. <laughs> 15 minutes of hedgehog sex. No, so like I knew, I knew there was a, a credit scene coming up. So I'm like, okay. I'm just going to enjoy, try to enjoy the rest of the movie. I really have to pee, but like, I'm going to go bolt the second the credits start and then try to come back in time for mm-hmm. the, the credit scene. Yeah. I didn't make it, uh, by which I mean, I didn't make it back to the theater from the bathroom. Not like I didn't made it. I peed in the theater. <laughs> that didn't happen. No, I went to the bathroom. I came back. I didn't see the mid credit sequence, but I did see a family leaving and I saw this little girl, like, because, you know, I watched it. I'm like, yeah, so it's a good Sonic movie. Cool. Oh, this little girl was like, did you see when Sonic turned out golden? That was awesome. <laughs> so, like, just this moment, this beautiful moment of the target audience of this this child enjoying the Sonic movie. She's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's so great. sweet. That's that way better than seeing the mid credit sequence, which I just watched on YouTube when I got home. <laughs> yeah, that that's something about, you know your 
the, the anybody who's making TV, film, stuff like that, like like musicians, which you have also done, you've done live performances, like you get that feedback immediately, like it's coming right back at you. Yeah. But like being involved with the cartoon, especially when like you're working out early in the process and like you've said, like things they take a long time to eventually come out and then it's out on TV. But like I'd say like you're like peering in somebody's window like does this kid like it? Like, you know, like, <laughs> how, I don't know. Like, how do you, um, I don't know. Other than like, I mean, a, like adult critics, like talking about a TV show, like how do you find out if, you know, what kids think about it is, do, do they have like, you know, the Nielsen ratings and all the blah, 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 all that stuff. Like, it, it you, you must want to see like kids reactions to your shows well i you know when when the show was just starting to air i would like try to find the ratings online but the thing about that is that it doesn't take demographics in mind exactly and yeah. so it's like you know i'm looking at it and i'm like okay there are numbers but i don't know if these numbers are you know the the numbers that actually matter uh the actual answer annoyingly is time released <laughs> because mm. like the kids who were watching it when they were the appropriate age to be watching it are now young adults or at least like older teenagers on Twitter who will be like the ones that said that they grew up on the show. Yeah, that's gotta be cool. And so, mm. you know, it's, it's nice to get, you know, some, some kinder words later, but yeah. you know, there were, you know, th there, there was kind of like just the, the it's like sad, annoying thing about like making, television and then like seeing criticism and then agreeing with that criticism but then you're like 36 cartoons in yeah yeah it's, and so it's like i can address the criticism but like guys there are so many episodes that are going to come out before i could possibly humanly address those criticisms yeah, you're not gonna like any of them <laughs> boy you guys are really gonna hate next season <laughs> no, next yeah. season's when I was able to like hit everything. Oh, okay. All right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But by then the network <laughs> didn't care anymore and they like just oh, like released God. all the shows at like six fifteen in the morning. Not six, not six thirty, six fifteen. Like of course. Of un of, of unpromoted season two. <laughs> well, at least they got to make them. <laughs> Man. So uh uh in, in in the realm of TMBG fandom, you know, we've we've both been at it for a while. How how many times have you seen TMBG live? I have lost mm -hmm. count, but over okay. over fifty. Over fifty, okay. And you, you're going to have to find out that important one because I think you and your wife need to be celebrating that TMBG show. That that date <laughs> needs to be another anniversary. You know, another excuse to like you know go out someplace nice to eat, right? And and jam some TMBG on the way home. I mean, we were always doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, you don't need a reason to to crank the TMBG. So now I need to know about the 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 famous, the infamous, the famous uh, "We Might Be Giants" compilation. It's it's like uh, I, I have the MP3s for it. But the We Might Be Giants 2 is, as far as I can tell, the first fan tribute compilation, of which now mm. I contribute to 
the 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 plethora the the overabundance of team bg right. uh covers compilations um of which you contribute to a lot of them but this yes. th- this one it 1998 does the wiki have that right 98 is that right yeah when it came out um you did the illustrations on this thing and i th- i i think a lot of my listeners are of the age that I think they, they you know, they, they might be able to comprehend a little bit of how tricky this would have been in 1998. But those of us that lived through the, uh, you know, the internet era of things taking, you know, forever, you're, you know, you're waiting 10 minutes to download one song <laughs> and you rejoice when it's done and you love it. And that's just something we put up with. Now we got Dropbox, you got Google Drive, you got all the we transfer, you got all these ways to share files. And back then, people were, I'm assuming, sending CDs to each other or to who it, it was. It was it was <laughs> Jeremy Moskowitz was the one that that spearheaded the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, is is That's, that is a name I've not heard in a long time. <laughs> Is is he someone that you have ever been in person? I don't think so. Because yeah. like at that stage, I would have been going to They Might Be Giants shows in Philadelphia, and so I saw, you know, famous They Might Be Giants fan TDK a lot, and uh, the infamous Rob Plass, <laughs> and some other you know early you know They Might Be Giants fans of of that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Y- y- so. The the internet fandom for They Might Be Giants, I feel like got strong uh, pretty early on as far as you know obsessive fandoms do, uh, because the fandom you know tends to to err on the uh, you know the brainier, more intellectual, more tech minded side than say like I don't know I don't want to throw some other band under the bus, but I don't know maybe. You know, did Metallica have a thriving, you know, Usenet group that sent CDs and did a did a, a covers compilation in 1998? That would be cool if they did, but I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but it seemed like the fandom, and I was I was maybe starting to get on. I was a little bit late for this when I first went to college and had decent internet. It was 99, and. I was on the what I just call the pre-wiki wiki, <laughs> you know, looking at interpretations and all that stuff way back, uh, uh, way back in the day, but not quite this far back. Do you? What do you remember about this compilation coming together? Because you do, you did all, you, you contributed a song. You did "Please Pass the Milk, Please." Is was there another one you did? Or was that I your... sent in "Weep Day," but they didn't choose it. They didn't choose it. Okay, so this is oh, something no, no, where... in their defense, it was not good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so let me explain. Let me explain a bunch of things. Yes. So, let's, let's hear. It. Uh, at this stage, uh, I was I did, had no way to digitally record yet. I did not have that. Uh, uh, I did not have that in my quiver yet. Uh, I was recording everything on like two tape deck uh, cassette recorders, and I would just like record levels over that so it's like i kind of had to keep the levels relatively minimal because Mm -hmm. it got cloudier and cloudier the more stages there were Mm -hmm. 
Um, also, at this point, you know, I was uh, going to the aforementioned Art Institute of Philadelphia, and uh, I had gotten, uh, I would like started to hang out on the uh, tmbg.org musings board, which was a message board on there with uh, an interesting culture. And I was like, oh, my God, I have people I can talk to about they might be giants with, finally. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and in addition, you know, I had before going to college only gotten to see when they might be giants show. And it was, uh, just before factory showroom came out and they were opening for violent femmes in Albany. Nice. Uh, and so on this musings board, we were like doing a lot of tape trading. And so I'm like getting tapes and like hearing live versions of stuff. And I'm even hearing like, uh, you know, unreleased songs like, and I'm, I'm even incorporating that into class. Like for my storyboarding class, I did a full storyboard for the not yet released. They got lost. Wow. That's cool. And so, and so, and actually that kind of like ties into the artwork I did for the album because, you know, because I did that storyboard, I had already had like, all right, here are my John and John models. And I'm yeah. just going to draw them like this all the time. Um, but yes, yeah, so like, so like through that musings board, I heard about the tribute album. And I must have sent tapes in because I don't know what else I would have done. I didn't have the technology beyond that yet. And so, yeah, I just like recorded Please Pass the Milk, Please and Weep Day. And they chose Please Pass the Milk, Please. I think there may have been like some perhaps digital only release of other stuff. I don't have a copy of this of, of this version of Weep Day on, on anymore, unfortunately, unless perhaps someday it pops out while I'm like going through tapes, assuming any of my old tapes from the late nineties still work. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, uh, all the tapes I have from high school and my old bands, you know, playing live and whatever else seem to have held together. Okay. Hmm. I, I haven't noticed much degradation. It's, it, it was usually like shit. I would play into the ground, like the, the, the physical wear of the tape going like a million times being played usually is when I killed tapes. But unless you played it a million times, I would think it was still, you know, (laughs) it's in a protective casing. Hopefully it's it's such a, Uh, such a great design for, for media, you know? But yeah, besides all that, it was uh, just a really good time. Like I was only in Philadelphia for two years, but I got to see they might be giants a bunch of times while I was there. Yeah. Uh, We had uh, both, uh, the Theater of the Living Arts, which is a fantastic venue in Philadelphia, and also the Electric Factory. Uh, but besides just They Might Be Giants, you know, that was around when Lincoln was opening for They Might Be Giants. And then, you know, we also got to see Lincoln. It's like, oh, hey, Lincoln's going to open with Marcy Playground. Let's go Let's go see that, too. Uh, and then, you know, not long after that, the dance joined the band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were seeing history being made. Yeah, and, you know, got to see, like, early versions of a lot of songs, like, you know, they got lost in Dr. Worman a little bit later uh, at, in the second year at the Electric Factory, like uh, Edith Head and Cyclops Rock. Uh, so, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, for sure. So, when I invited you on the show, which was much uh, uh, later than it should have been, you went <laughs> and picked the most... Insane choice for a song, <laughs> which is Sally Boy Candy Bar, which, yes. um, while insane, is a uh, a notable choice in that um, while most 
even good fans probably haven't heard this song. You have to really be a certain level of fan to know about Sally Boy Candy Bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it was on the uh, July E music release, right? Um, it was, yeah, it was on the Unlimited, Team G Unlimited, July. But even that, I mean, that was over 20 years ago. I mean, while while those the Team G Unlimited stuff has been spread around on the internet, you know, and, and you can still get it easily from other fans... Um, even the team BG unlimited stuff, like, like we, <laughs> I think we're just so far into it that we don't realize that even that stuff is a whole other level of fandom because, um, you know, there's, there's people that know a few albums. Then there's people that know every album. Then there's people that know, oh, I even have I've, I have the Electra EPs. And then there's people, you know, there's there's all these levels. You know, it's like the iceberg meme shit. And Sally Boy Candy Bar, uh, a, a a song that Team G Unlimited. I, fi- I I I suppose that's an official release, but it was never put on an album, never released physically, except on the 1983 demo tape of which we don't know very much about. So it's notable in that it was on their very first demo tape. We know that uh, because they said so in their very own podcast on uh, episode 32A in 2008. Um, So it is one of their earliest songs and one of their wildest songs. So tell tell the folks uh, why, (laughs) why... (laughs) This song screamed out to you above all the, the litany of choices on the spreadsheet that I sent to you. Well, it's kind of one that's been on my mind lately for a few reasons. Like, it's such a consummate bop for being something that they released <laughs> so early. And it's like one where, like, you know, there are some, they might be Giants demos where I was like, oh, I wish I could hear, what, like, the full album version of, excuse me, that would have sounded like. But this one, like the rawness yet inventiveness of it along with its catchiness is kind of like what I like about it. I don't know that I want a new recording of that. I would love to hear like a live version of it, but I don't know that I want a polished album version of it. It's just like got such, such a cool sound. Cause like there, there's also like kind of a certain contingent of early, there might be giant songs that have like this particular like eighties, no wave pop, post-punk thing going on mm-hmm. uh like um uh like a kind of like the live version of big big Hordum, for example and uh hiya high uh <laughs> there's just a few that like have this particular like like when i listen to the pink album i don't think about how 80s it sounds like the synths are certainly from the eighties, but I don't feel like it's eighties esque songwriting. This, I feel like kind of is a little bit more. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Besides also being like, yeah. yeah, Also being like kind of on the punkier end of, of the way they go, but also like, it always kind of sounded like a B 52 song to me. I can hear that. But I also sent in a question about it recently on TMBG ROK Tumblr which isn't one of the ones you linked to. Uh, and Oh, did he so answer like it? That, he did. Ooh. And so that's okay. also part of why it was top of mind. And when I like saw the list, I'm like, 
oh, has anyone done Sally Bar Candy Bar? Sally Boy Candy Bar yet? And it was like near the top of your list because it's not on an album and uh, you know, hadn't been picked yet. I'm like, okay, I'm not even gonna think about it any further than this. I'm picking Sally Boy Candy Bar. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even scroll. It's the very first thing listed after Penguin, which was when they weren't even called they might be giants. Which I which I also would have considered picking because that is a strange little number. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, it's the first, it's the first thing. I mean, it's a special one. I'm kind of surprised no one has picked it. Like, I guess it is kind of a challenge just because, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe even less is known about that one than Sally Boy Candy Bar. At least, you know, they've yeah. chimed in a bunch about this. So is is your question and, and, and following answer on the Tumblr, is that something we should read first or save it for... Uh, I would be I would be thrilled to read it first if you're down read because it. like it, it it has a lot to do with my initial impression of what the lyrics meant. Okay. And also, it tells us a little bit about who actually wrote this. Well, let's do it because you know, as we often do, we assume whoever's singing the song in "They Might Be Giants" is the one who wrote it, but that's not always the case. Not always the case. So I'm going to read you my question and how Flancy replied. I said, I've always found Sally Boy Candy Bar truly fascinating. It's a lo-fi bop with such a great sound. I've always theorized that it was about transphobia that you may have overheard. Is it? Uh, and Flancy replied, it's definitely a word salad. Like a lot of people, when we first moved to New York, discovering Asian businesses and wild combinations of English words mm-hmm. was very startling. Sally Boy Candy Bar was just a shop in Chinatown. But obviously, it's much. It's a much more loaded set of words for English speakers. John's lyric just carries on uh, with the jumbling of more familiar phrases. So, you know, if Flancy is talking about John, unless he's speaking huh. in the first person, which he does not do, <laughs> that means that Linnell wrote this. What? Or at least wrote the lyrics. Wow. Linnell wrote the lyrics, but Flancy sings it? Mm-hmm. That's, Yeah. It, it's not the only time it's happened, but... Uh, World's Address? Yeah, I mean, and uh, Puppet Head, right? Linnell, which was it? Linnell wrote the... That's actually, a, you know, that's a big single that I've been saving for a possible live episode. I have not <laughs> done the Puppet Head episode yet. But t- it was Linnell either wrote the chorus or the verses. I can't remember, but... Hmm. Uh, and then Flane sings it all, of course. Um, well, that's pretty wild. Yeah, how he just he just tosses that off there like we wouldn't be <gasps> gasp <laughs> he's <laughs> exactly. singing he's singing Linnell's words a word salad yeah it, <laughs> and like you know what he assumed like you know what at least the you know unreliable narrator of this particular song or undesirable narrator at least undesirable. Uh, <laughs> you know uh, what he thinks of the word sally boy candy bar which is just the name of an Asian sh- Asian store. Sally Boy Candy Bar. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine what they could have possibly been going for with that. I'm. I mean, you'll still see that sometimes if you go to like a really good Chinese restaurant. There's a place when we were down in Bloomington, Indiana, which had amazing Asian food. There's just a lot of international students and stuff. The our favorite Chinese place there was. Um, it was a shredded pork dish with like sliced like jalapenos and it was like oh. real spicy and delicious, but it was called pork with shredded spicy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sounds intriguing. We order it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're just like, we'll have the pork with shredded spicy, please. 
<laughs> yeah, there, there was one uh, one place in Little Tokyo that unfortunately isn't there anymore called Ebisu that had a dish called shrimp cheese, which was sh- <laughs> uh, fried shrimp covered in cheese. And I don't know what I was expecting, but that's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, here's one that happened uh, on my uh, uh, trip to uh, Tokyo. It was in 2018. It was our... Uh, honeymoon slash four-year anniversary, if that tells you anything what animation production is like. Um, <laughs> there was uh, one uh, kind of like old school, like they built it in the 70s and decided to never update it, this this coffee and sandwich shop in in Ueno, in Tokyo. And uh, they, you know, some in, particularly in the city, they have like menus that are in both Japanese and English because there are a lot of tourists. And uh, one of the kinds of coffee they had, it said wiener coffee. <laughs> I'll but wiener, have a large, please. Yeah. Wiener was just a mistranslation of Vienna. <laughs> okay. All right. We figured it yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Vienna coffee. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Sally, bar, Sally Boy Candy Bar. Sally Boy Candy Bar. Um, so there's a lot of little, like, yeah, he calls it a word salad. There's a lot of references just all mashed around in here. Yeah. And I mean, it already starts out kind of as a, uh, as a like musical reference, both lyrically and somewhat musically to, mm-hmm. uh, the Shirelles song boys later re-recorded by the Beatles, much later recorded by uh, Shonen knife. And not only is it like a little, you know, parody of those words, but the melody even kind of sounds like yeah. that song. I've been told in a boy kiss a girl, take a trip around the world. It's a very, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a very fifties, fifties style. I mean, the song is from, is from the fifties, right? 50, but then, or yeah, but then it's like yeah. a home punk recording in the eighties of it. So it's kind of like yeah. boys after like staring at a ceiling fan in a cigarette smoke filled room for a half hour and then, and then performing it. Right. <laughs> I've been told that a boy is a girl. This isn't true anywhere in the world. So, <laughs> which is, you know, that and like the fish is fish and bike thing made me wonder, Oh, did they just like hear some like really bigoted transphobic stuff? Yeah. On the lower East side and, <laughs> and decided to make that their narrator. Which I'm still not quite convinced isn't the case. Right. I think we need Linnell to answer I think it's an informed word salad. Yeah, we need Linnell to answer the Tumblr, I think is what we need. I'll give him uh, a ring. Yeah, oh yeah, just call him up on the, 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 the bat phone, but it's the Linnell phone. Um, <laughs> the, you, you got a heart for a head, <laughs> breakfast in bed. You got yeah. a Sally Boy candy bar. And it's driving me out of my car that... Driving me out of my car is just the most they might be giants lyric I've ever heard in my damn life. How do you even come up with that phrasing? It just makes me think of, uh, I don't know, like, do you watch I Think You Should Leave? Uh, I've seen a little. There's just these like, phrases I, I, like, I can't know how to hear any more about tables. 
from the driver's ed sketch. I'm like, I can't know how to hear any more about tables. How do you even come up with that line? Like when you're writing the script, like, I mean, in this people instance, don't talk don't, like that. <laughs> I, I don't know what you were like as a songwriter, but for me, oftentimes first idea wins. Yeah. And sometimes that first idea is this stupid thing that rhymed and I'm not changing it because I'm stubborn. And so like, uh, <laughs> Sally boy, candy bar driving me out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> driving me out of my mind. No car. All right. Ryan's moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, that could also be, you know, a reference to the reaction of seeing this sign for a shop while in a car <laughs> pulling over. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sally boy, candy bar. I gotta check this place out. It's it's making me mad. <laughs> you got a Sally Boy candy bar, and it illustrates the way we are. I want to know how long it took Linnell to write these words. <laughs> imagine not too long. <laughs> maybe well, yeah, maybe which he is not is... necessarily to their detriment because, like you know, yeah, first uh, idea, best idea, illustrates the way we are. Like if. One way you could interpret that is, you know, we are looking at an English language name of an establishment from someone who is not a native English speaker. And so it's a like skewed reflection of the English speaking society. Mm-hmm. And so it's illustrating the way we are. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure Linnell put that much thought into it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, not. Yeah, like, you yeah. know. Who's to know? So I mean, sometimes I'll write stuff like that, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's what I meant." <laughs> this this is one of those songs. Like sometimes on episodes, it, it really depends on the song. Like going line by line with some songs would seem tedious, but with this song, every line yeah, is just so much. A fucking. Every <laughs> line is hysterical, and it's bizarre. I'm approached. I don't. Never mind the clothes you wear. Never mind the cross you bear. None of these things can compare. When, when circle, circle gets, gets the square. square. <laughs> it starts sounding like it's going to get real serious. The cross you bear. And again, it sounds like another like... And then uh, Shadow like, Stevens in the center square. Right. It sounds like another thing referencing either some sort of you know trans... Like like you were positing or like drag situation. Never mind the clothes you wear. Never mind the cross you bear. And you're like, okay, it's coming back to that. None of these things can compare. And then when the circle gets the square, now you're just gonna like uh, well, pop maybe culture was reference. Jim Bullock, was Jim J. Bullock a regular on Hollywood Squares yet? Mm. You know, notable out guy in Hollywood in a time that, when that wasn't really a thing. Yeah, yeah I, that's a good question. In 1983, hmm. I don't know. I am not not sure on that. That was. Um, uh, I'm grasping at straws, but I'm trying to do it in an entertaining fashion. That was. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's quite possible, but uh, yeah. Again, it's like, is he just going on rhymes, like you said, just like square, where, bear, compare, square. Okay, done. Next part. I've been told when a fish needs a bike, the fish can walk or take a hike, which. That one, like you, you, you mentioned uh, briefly a minute ago. Uh, yeah, the, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Exactly. Yeah. Irina Dunn, Australian writer. Um, 
I mean, can you imagine a fish riding a bicycle? That'd be pretty, pretty badass, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm going wherever that fish is going. He yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> he or she knows what's up, or they. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, but uh, yeah, it's but you know we also you know knowing that in particular that Linnell wrote this one, Linnell has admitted to, you know when asked what things mean say just says those are the words that that went with that melody <laughs> like yeah. sometimes sometimes it is just like a stream of consciousness thing yeah with i mean i've hypothesized many times that that linnell songs he and i don't know if this has ever been confirmed but that <clears throat> he writes the melody just with his right hand as he's playing the piano the melody is written out under his hand because a lot of his melodies they just sound very I don't know, as a guy who's written songs both on guitar and keyboard, they tend to turn out pretty differently. And I and I tend mm. to write my melodies prior to my lyrics. And lots of times I will do them by doing like a MIDI keyboard line mm-hmm. and just kind of messing around. And then when I find something I like and I can adjust it, if it's MIDI, I can just kind of screw with it. And then I put words to it. So a lot of times mm. we come to this this kind of crossroads there where it's like, Okay, well, this is the way you plunked out the melody, but I had this idea with the lyrics. Okay, how are we going to adjust this uh, and uh, uh, squeeze it in there? And you know, there's a, there's always adjusting, usually on both ends of like you know working around syllables in the, the lyrics she wrote, or uh, adjusting the melody or the rhythm of the melody I wrote on keyboard. So that's kind of an interesting, different kind of situation. Um, but. E- e- yeah, I feel like Linnell writes his stuff under his hand and then puts the lyrics to it, and this kind of goes along with what, what he's he said. Um, but in this case, in this era, just with how fast they seem to have been working, just like you know, it was early on, they're, they're ambitious, they're excited young men, they're doing their thing. You know, They had just played their first gig as... El Grupo de Rock and Roll, you know, (laughs) six months before, and they're already putting out this first demo tape. Uh, I don't don't know if he would have been working like that yet. But it is interesting. He wrote the words. Did he also write the melody, or did he just write all these words, and then Flans came up with the melody? There's there's still Uh, more questions. I feel like it's a really Flansy-sounding song, Mm -hmm. even this early on. Yeah. So the melody does sound flansy. If I had to guess, I would say Linnell lyrics to a flansy melody, but who knows which came first? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially at this stage when, you know, the way they had to produce things was very different. Yeah. Yeah. And they hadn't really settled into like the way they do things yet. I mean, it was all very new. There is collaboration. Uh, still these days, but I feel like in those early days, there was a lot more collaboration they were both they were two single men that you know would just sound like like spend a lot of time together fucking around and writing songs so you know things were it was a different a different era and and the band was was they hadn't even put out a proper album yet so everything was kind of anything was game fair game so this is an interesting song in that way it's just like kind of it's it's you know, it wasn't really like a. I wouldn't really say it's like a prototype for "They Might Be Giant" songs to come later because it really doesn't sound like many "They Might Be Giant" songs that came later. Um, you know, off of that demo tape, if anything, I'd say. 
you know, like now that I have everything, which is one that actually got a physical release being in the, uh, the big then collection. Um, and we, yeah, did, I, I feel like, you know. I feel like if it's a precursor to anything, it's for later stuff where Flansy hunks out more like, yeah. Uh, like I feel like this isn't like more of a precursor to on the drag than anything that's on the pink album mm. or a precursor to like uh, the first monopuff album or something. Mm. It but is, yeah, it's, it's yeah. actually for the hell of it. Since it was right there, I clicked on the, you know, 1983 button there on the wiki. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is interesting to see what else was recorded that year. Cowtown, two versions of hell hotel. Uh, I'll remember third street, of course, the you know, primordial spacesuit. Uh, now that I have everything, uh, this, and then Swing is a Word and Weep Day. Yeah. So it's a lot of like, you know, they are, they are finding themselves. Uh, and this is like something that, yeah, might have like stuck out like a sore but interesting thumb had it made it to a proper album. Yeah. But, you know, but once again, I kind of appreciate it as a demo that I have access to more than I might have if it like had a proper album version. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to imagine what that would have been like. So should we uh, jump to the other two TMBG ROK uh, posts about this song? Yeah, sure, let's do that. Cool, I'll, I'll, I'll read them so you can save your voice. Um, yes, please do. Sure. Uh, uh, how come Sally Boy Candy Bar never ended up on an album? Flansy replies, while some songs stuck, there were a lot of songs that just floated in and out of the show from 83 to 87. Uh, I don't know what word he intended to use here. He uses the word stave. Stave. So I'm going to <laughs> use the word stave. Stave been suspicious was not the easiest song to play in some ways. Very manic and screamy. And we might have been nervous that it didn't scan so well to audiences. I love the song. I really don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. It didn't scan so well to audiences. The the wiki only notes that it was played twice. Now, in this early on in their history, the stats of songs being played, I imagine, is a little less reliable. So it may have been played more than that. But it, it only giving it two shots. I mean, especially in the early days when they had so few songs. You know, when you're a band. Yeah, and, with, and know, I mean, like. Early but, on, you play you know, everything. As any live performer, like who has, well, I guess they weren't that prolific at this point. But you know, well, they have songs to choose from. If they have one that like maybe isn't going over as well with an audience, which you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it went over poorly with an audience, but maybe it didn't get the same, you know, big reaction to something else. Like, oh, this "Don't Let's Start" song is getting a lot better of a reaction than the Sally Boy Candy Bar thing. Let's mm-hmm. play more of that one. Mm-hmm. And there are also ones that just like went over fine with an audience, but I don't find pleasurable to vocally perform. I'll like, you know, Mm. keep something like that out of the set list, even if it was like, yeah, audience digs it. Okay. But I don't feel like I need to harm myself or annoy myself to play this one more. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Like, you know what, before I performed a lot, I would think about bands like they might be giants and how there are certain songs that they quote have to play. And I was like, oh, geez, they must get really sick of that. But those are the ones during a set where it's like, there is no stress for me right now because I've performed this song a million times and can do it with my brain tied behind my back. This Mm. is like, this is is a very nice and pleasant thing for me to do. 
And yeah, so that's another way to look at it. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I think a lot more about how the band feels about playing a song that way when I go to concerts now. So it might just be one where they did it a few times and it's like, oh, I'm shredding my voice and it's wrecking me for the rest of the show. And like the audience likes it, but the other like other stuff better. I, I can see like, you know, cutting it for that. Mm-hmm. Although that hasn't stopped them from putting that kind of song on an album before, you know, stuff that they just don't end up playing. Like one, one of my favorite, they might be giant songs is broken too. And I don't think they've ever played it. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think there's anything particularly challenging about playing that one. It's not like Prevenge where I've heard a bunch of recordings of them playing it and like, you know, it sounds fine, but there are like some technical things about it that make mm-hmm. it like maybe not worth the trouble for them. Yeah. It does say, according to the wiki, Broke Into has never been played live. I mean, there's a shitload of songs they've never played live that I can't wrap my brain around why they wouldn't have, at least when the, when a certain album was new or whatever, they never played it. I mean, the podcast I did earlier in the day was uh, The Poisonousness, and they've never played any Escape Team song live, which... Oh, like, right, yeah, it, like, which is a shame. There's a lot of bangers on that album. I think it's a super underrated album. It, yeah, I think so, too. It's 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 a cool little just like quick blast of just these little these little nuggets like it's 24 minutes and it's done you know they have all these anniversaries and they've been missing anniversaries because covid pushed back the flood anniversary and then they're like oh we're gonna do some mink car stuff and i'm like man i want apollo 18 full shows well guess that's gone we're gonna have to wait till the next anniversary for that uh, and then I was like, well, you know what's having its fifth anniversary in December? The escape team. <laughs> so let's get, you know, they could do fucking flood in full and the escape team and then take intermission. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, you know how they are. They'll just like pull a song out of nowhere because they feel like it. Like, you know, yeah, hey, Mr. So. DJ became, you know, part of their regular rotation after like not being part of their set list for decades mm-hmm. uh yeah. and it's still it's still weird to me that uh, i lost thursday was kind of like the first book single as as singles go these days but they have not played that one live and it annoys the crap out of me because i'm dying to hear what that song sounds like live like yeah. i think that's a song that sounds a little flansburg's bedroomy <laughs> and i'm dying to For hear sure. it with a live energy it's a it's a little sally boy candy bar <laughs> <laughs> Something about that uh, the the weird like guitar keyboard tone thing in uh, the way the guitar and keyboards meld in I Lost Thursday melds in a kind of similar way to Sally Boy Candy Bar. It's got that real crunch <laughs> to it. Yeah, it's got a similar kind of uh, I can see that crunchy, uh, quickly recorded kind of thing. Um. But uh, to, to, to get back to Tumblr for a moment, because there's something about this being a home recording that is, that is very interesting here. And it, you know, I noticed it while listening to it uh, on the way back from the party I was at earlier today to get home to do this. Um, you know, I noticed that like listening to it. Oh, this doesn't really have proper like it has all the energy of having proper drums, but it doesn't have proper drums. Uh, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read this because I think it answers answers my my question Uh, hi john was listening to a compilation i made of very early tmbg demos like sally boy candy bar 7-eleven and the like i was wondering who played the live drums on those 
Was it you, John, or someone else? Likewise, was the base one was the base one of you two, or was TMBG briefly a four piece? Uh, John replies, "Every track is very different. Uh, we worked with a few drummers, generic drum records, and borrowed drum machines, making show tracks early on." Uh, and a lot of it we just did ourselves track by track. Sally Boy Candy Bar was assembled the way a lot of our early tracks were recorded. Uh, recorded on a TEAC four track, probably three individual tracks of drums played individually. Thumb on a mic was a kick, or uh, the Moog w- or the Moog as a kick. Uh, real hi hat or Moog hat. Uh, and a real snare played by John L. in that case. Wow. Uh, we had uh, bongos, and they came into the mix a lot. Uh, everything was then bounced down to one track, and then we added bass and possibly an additional synths out. Uh, 7-Eleven was uh, either from a record of generic drum beats recorded by a fellow named Dave uh, Krieger or a fellow uh, named John Turner, who was uh, also just put down a beater t- uh, beat for us to write to. Uh, the bass could be synth or electric bass, me or John Linnell. Um, I noticed while listening to it that like part of the percussion reminded me of the stick from when they would play uh, Life <laughs> to a Little Bottle live. And I think that probably accounts for the, you know, tapping on the microphone portion yeah. of the proceedings. <laughs> and here's where I tap on the microphone. As I'm clipping my clipping the shit everything's going red over here on my screen yeah when your kick sounds like (laughs) when your kick sounds like you just paused battletoads for nes (laughs) it might be the stick wow deep cut man that reference there that was that was something else man battletoads i sucked at that game oh it's fun though it's fun (laughs) yeah like kind of like a weird distorted like like splat noise or something. I have this. I have it on. Vi- I have it on vinyl. What? And the the pause music that drum beat is uh, you know how some records will have it so like it'll circle around like the center and then yeah. it'll just loop something. Yeah, uh, that's what that is. Yeah, the locked. Groove. They have the, they have the pause music as oh as my the god, the you have music. to go over there and physically lift the needle off the record. <laughs> I, I think I only own two records that have something like that. The other one is a Muppet record in which Fozzie is Fozzie Bear is stuck in the record, and you just hear him going <laughs> help, <laughs> help. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, there was there was one other thing I wanted to mention. I almost forgot. There was another thing I wanted to mention musically about this song mm-hmm. that would kind of that would kind of pop up much later. Um, so you know how it opens up with the ding 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 ding, mm-hmm. um, and you know goes throughout the rest of the record. Uh, you know what else does that is she thinks she's Edith Head. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like a you know. Mm. Hey, we didn't put that song on the album. Let's borrow that musical idea back from ourselves. She was an Edith Head candy bar. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know that I would eat an Edith Head candy bar. (laughs) Unless you've lost your mind. (laughs) This, I love that even, God, God bless everyone who contributes to this wiki that people have even tabbed out this song. (laughs) Or chords for this song, at least. A, B flat, B, C. 
It's a fucking, it's a fucked up progression. Like what? It's practically chromatic. It is pretty wild. Like you don't hear a lot of songs go. It's chromatic going. Yeah. Like ominously for like this goofiest song. Yeah. It's like. It's like here. Here's a threatening chord progression for just a self-admitted word salad. Yeah. And then, and then you go up. Then you, when you get to the Sally Boy candy bar part, then you then you go you continue going chromatic. You've gone A B flat B C. I guess you're skipping the D flat, but you go D E flat E F. <laughs> the song is so fucked up. <laughs> yeah, like you know after after borrowing from boys, then you do this like weird threatening chord progression. <laughs> I love it. It's uh yeah this is a a wonderful little time capsule of these these boys and their warped minds. Uh it's <laughs> it's like I I love the fear, fearlessness of this early stuff. Yeah. It's like they nobody told us fuck. that we should be able to do this so we're just going to do this. Yeah, and then like all the inventive ways of them doing their thing and and I love stuff like that that story about the ring modulator and it's it's almost like the modern version of them figuring out how to make a drum beat out of tapping on a mic and hitting a bongo or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Cause just like, here's this thing I've never used before. Let's, uh, let's give this a whirl. And then it's on an album, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's fun. And I've done shit like this recording too. Like I've done stuff like, like hit a piece of sheet metal and I've broken a light bulb in a <laughs> that was for actually a radio play that I was uh recording my friend's radio play and I smashed a light bulb inside a box wearing a gardening glove. <laughs> One band that was really good for stuff like that. Have you ever heard of uh, Galactic Heroes? The, you know, I I've heard of them. I can't say I I've I've ever listened to them. Uh worth a look, really fun, catchy, lo-fi stuff. But they would also like use a whole bunch of weird things that aren't necessarily instruments mm-hmm. and then they would like list them all in the liner notes so you'd see oh all of that's oh, in here let me listen for it and it'd be just like keys a pile of laundry change it would be stuff like that <laughs> yeah yeah that's great i think the weirdest thing like that i used was like this voice sampler program that was on some nintendo ds homebrew <laughs> Oh man. And so I just like sampled my own voice and like layered it over itself and then like put it in the middle of a song that wasn't that otherwise. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a, yeah, it's, if, if you want to, if you want to find it, it's on my song mind over matter. And like, you'll just like hit nice. the middle of the song and it kind of sounds like, like, like Rugrats samples all of a sudden. Cause like, <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, just fun. It's fun to do, you know? It's one thing to be good at playing your instruments. It's another thing to be able to break shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> that's where the real talent comes in. I have a vision. And the vision is more cowbell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and throwing that cowbell down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've played this song live twice. As I said, though, I mean, who knows if that's accurate. You know, if they were playing it as early as 1983, you know, they could have played it like 10 times and we just, you know, who knows? We don't know. 
We don't know. I mean, we don't even know anything about the tape that it's on, let alone how many times it was played live. Right. You know, so who knows? But we don't Although have any least, recordings At least from Flansy's recollection, it might have been displeasing enough to play that it really wasn't many more times than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't have any live recordings of it. I mean, I was just looking through stuff I have, and I don't think I have anything earlier than 87. Um which is, and, but uh, never, yeah. never say never. Every now and then, something that's the yeah. oldest thing we've ever heard will fall into Quinn's hands, and suddenly we'll all have a copy of it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's possible. I mean, you know, the first album came out in '86. Kind of funny. We don't have anything from '86. Um, so we have in the cover section, we have one cover, and right. it would not have existed if it weren't for this show because our charity hey. compilation. Yeah. We're doing important work. The, this, <laughs> the charity compilation uh, called Definition of Good, which uh, it's, it's really still hard to put a street date on it because uh, I'm still waiting on people's tracks, and I really just don't want to be like, nope, sorry, you're in out of time. But I've been checking oh, it's in like with every group poly- every group project I had through college. Yep. I turned mine in on time. Yeah. You lazy motherfuckers. I quit. I'm quitting the group. Um, I'm quitting the study group. I'm doing all the work. Um, So uh, my friend uh, Mason, he, um, from a band called Catscan, he did uh, a a song uh, by himself, and he's calling his group uh, Bass Masters. Um, Actually, I need to verify that. I'm wondering if there's anyone else Whether it's Bass Masters... Or Bassmasters, like the Ren and Stimpy cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, you know what? I should ask him to say it out loud because I don't know. <laughs> I just assumed it was Bassmasters. Um, yeah, actually, I got to confirm whether there's anyone else that contribute to this or not because I have to ask for credits from people so that <laughs> Abby can put them in the liner notes. Um, but nevertheless, we're hearing, uh, I guess, the first single. Of the of the compilation, <laughs> I will play this in full. Just because you know it's special, but uh, look for definition of good. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be a month after our recording here. I would say so. Maybe there'll be some actual street date I'd be able to set by then, but I'm not even going to hold myself to that. It'll be out before the Christmas season. I'm just going to say <clears throat> that much, and we'll leave it at that. But it'll be to uh, it'll be raising money to go towards the. Uh, Sandy Hook Promise, um, who are working to try to keep kids safe in school and uh, cut down the number of unnecessary uh, high-powered weapons in this country. So, um, as a teacher, very near and dear to me, and all the trainings that I have to take, learn how to take a bullet for a kid, you know, i do it, but i prefer if uh, the bullets just weren't even coming into the school in the first place. So, uh, definition of good. We're li- gonna listen to Sally Boy Candy Bar by Bass 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 Masters. Here we go. Anywhere in the world, you gotta hop her head 
thoughts on the Bass Masters cover? Uh, I like how they uh, did like the gradual rise into the, the opening. <laughs> so yeah. that's super neat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, they keep that dial a song feel. It maintains, I mean, it even ups the level of the punkedness yeah. of this track, ups the tempo a bit. Yeah, I think there's something more properly drum shaped in there. <laughs> <laughs> drum shaped. <laughs> Definitely. Or at least a proper drum machine. But I mean, I think, you know, with a lot of covers, you know, going kind of um, staying true to the essence of the original sometimes can be playing it safe. But in this case, I think a song as weird as Sally Boy Candy Bar, like almost trying to inhabit the early John's, you know, essence. It's a challenge in itself. And I think just up in the punk level and, you know, just kind of, it's not necessarily making it slicker, but it's got more punch to it just with the modern recording nature of it. And I think yeah, it is a very successful cover. It's like more punk, but we're still in our bedrooms. Yeah. Right. It's uh, it's great. So Mason, thank you, uh, Bassmasters. Okay, so we are to the point in the show where uh, you got to score this song. Oh, uh, what what is, what is the scoring level? We are. It's a it's a, it's a zero to ten with decimals if needed, and you're scoring it in within the TMBG canon. Okay, uh, this is. I would say this is a. If not top five, definitely top ten. They might be giant song for me. Which Damn. Is, you know, yeah. So I'm going to give this bad boy a ten. Wow. Mm. Man. Yeah. This is one that I feel like I may have brushed off at first in the whole just mass of TMBG Unlimited stuff that got dumped. Then there was so much interesting stuff in there, and this one definitely it definitely struck me at first. You know, it's it's it does stick out. Um, even amongst their early weird stuff. Um, I think I definitely have appreciated it more through uh, repeated listens uh, heading into this episode and talking about it here with you. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think I'm going to go quite 10, though. Uh, it is a very interesting early relic of the band, and really, I mean, if they had followed this particular strand of their early work, they would be a very different band today, you know, but, um, as a band that does a lot of things, you know, you listen to the song and you're not like, well, that doesn't sound like they might be giants at all. And while it doesn't sound like a whole lot of they might be giants, they were tuned anything and everything they wanted. They still do. Yeah. But especially at that time, like you're still like, Oh, that's, Oh, Oh, Flans, he's doing his rock and roll thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with like, Linnell they, words apparently. I, I don't know if at this stage they were asking the question, "Is this they might be giants?" Right. Like I think I think we would have to wait until the we we have to like wait till the '90s when they did their solo stuff, and it's like, you know, particularly with Flans, is like, is this stuff I could do with they might be giants? And then like you know, stuff that is kind of flavored like both monopuff albums kind of like became stuff that he would do with they might be giants so it's like mm -hmm. dipping his toe in is this they might be giantsy yeah, yeah sure what the hell yeah yeah everything is yeah um 
Yeah, that's why I thought it was pretty interesting that they that they with this I've latest I've I've uh, instant fan club IFC doing you know Linnell putting out his his Roman songs a couple of years ago and then Flansy just putting out his uh, his solo stuff. It's funny that they still decided to do that. I mean, I'm glad that they did, but it is kind of funny after so long of being like, okay, we tried that. Let's just keep doing they might be giants, you know, for them to do that again. It was kind of a fun little experiment. So anyway, my score, I think, um, I'm going to go, I'm afraid, I hope I don't offend you, but I'm going to go 6.5 on this one. And it's, Hmm. it's really because it's a very interesting song, but it's not one that I'm going to throw on, many mixes unless i know that no one else will be in the car when i play them <laughs> you and i have very different relationships with how we treat people in the car <laughs> here, here they they hand you the ox cord sailor boy candy bar 10 times in a row <laughs> it'll be our salt and pepper diner just sally boy candy bar all the way home yeah all the way home and then you know maybe chest piece face to, you know as an encore <laughs> <laughs> and when we get home, we're going to watch that rabid child video that someone faked pretending like they knew how the, have you seen that video where they're like, this is what really happened or whatever. Have you seen this fan video where they uh, pretend it like, I it think goes all I, fucked up? I think I might've started to watch it, realized it wasn't just the found video and then quickly gave up on it. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's like, we have the rabid child video. What? No, we don't. Ow. <laughs> you fucker god <laughs> don't toy with my emotions like that uh, so uh, so it's the plug section but the thing you're working on right now is still you know under fbi fbi top secret you know right you have to have a certain level of clearance to know about it so um what do you want to tell the people uh, i mean at the very least tell them where to find you on social media how about that let me tell you about all of the things uh the professional thing i did most recently that you can go and watch are uh, a few episodes of the snoopy show which airs on apple tv uh, and you can see a few more next year when Camp Snoopy is released. I did several episodes of that, kind of a sister series to that. Cool. Uh, that was a super fun show to work on. Um, and then uh, I, my show, Mighty Magiswords, is not as easy to find as it used to be. Thanks, David Zaslav. Um, you can <laughs> yeah, fuck uh, that guy. If, I don't know. <laughs> if you would like to purchase episodes, you can fi- get the TV seasons on uh, Amazon and a few other places of that nature. Uh, but there are also like free uh, older shorts that you can find on YouTube and you can start with those, see if you like the show and then go get it. Uh, Although I often tell people, you know, we were talking about, you know, responding to criticism earlier. I tend to say, watch season two, get season two. Once you love that, go tolerate season one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ringing endorsement. Exactly. Well, you know, yeah. I, I just trying to be fair to the people. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I am. I am TV's Kyle in most places. TVSKYLE. No apostrophe because on the internet the apostrophe is a lie. Uh, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> uh, and Instagram uh, as TV's Kyle. And uh, in addition, you can f- get all of my music at tvskyle.bandcamp.com. Uh, and uh, in addition, if you don't like paying for music, you can uh, listen to it on spotify or make purchases on itunes or other places where music is sold 
Yes. Oh, you can also uh, get uh, my album Commodore Touchdown, considered apparently by the fans to be one of the stronger ones, on vinyl at Needle Juice Records. Ooh, nice vinyl. That's the dream. I've now done so many They Might Be Giants songs for so many They Might Be Giants uh, tribute albums that I'm just going to go ahead, record a few more, and just put out like my own like compilation of my yeah. stuff. <laughs> you should. You really should. Okay, well, people can find this might be a podcast all over the place. This might be a pod on Twitter is a good place to do it. I will never call it X. It is Twitter and uh, Instagram. This might be a podcast with underscores between all of the stuff. Send uh, voicemails to 224-801-2930. And uh, you can send your thoughts, too, if you don't want to talk on the thing, to this might be a pod at Gmail. Dot com. So Kyle, that was uh, that was fun, man. It was good to finally talk to you. Um, sorry it took so long to get you on this dang show. Oh no, it was super fun. Uh, happy to happy to finally be on it. Hooray!